Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. So tonight we want to talk about how people think about their pets. There was a study done called the interspecies parenting, how pet parents construct their roles, that that examined some of these things that are common in our society that would have been unheard of a generation ago. And the introduction to the study says this qualitative study explores a widespread contemporary family form, the interspecies family, to understand how people who count their cats and dogs as family members describe this process of becoming and maintaining family. We focus on one a- aspect of interspecies families, pet parenting. So in this study, they're talking about things like interspecies family and pet parenting. But they went out and asked people, you know, that had pets, do you consider yourself a parent to your pet? And only 20% of the people said no. 15% said not completely. And 65% said they considered themselves to be a parent to their pets. How did our culture get so insane that we have the idea of interspecies family? I mean, the answer to that, how did we get there? I think it's, we're going to explore the various different ways that we get there because it's not just one stream that brings us there. It's not like we can just say, oh, here's here's one factor over here that now we think of our our, our pets as children. But, you know, we should be careful about what we're talking about here. We're not saying having pets is bad. I have pets. My kids have pets. We have a lot of pets, and we are always collecting more animals around the house, and I know what's happening. So we're not talking about having pets. We're talking about what is this idea of, of having pets and using them, if you will, as, as substitute children and taking all of those things that humans are intended to do towards children and instead of having children, applying those attitudes, affections, energies, and responsibilities towards animals. And I mean, we're, hey, we're touching a sacred cow here, and and that's really why we're having this podcast. Was that no, an intended? No pun intended. Pun? <laughs> that was intended. Come on, <laughs> I don't think there's many pet cow uh, parents that would acknowledge that. <laughs> but really, I mean, I think what's happening here, if you, if you want to boil a lot of this down, is that there's a lot of things that God has commanded, and we have decided that we're going to be disobedient and we're going to be rebellious on a whole bunch of fronts. But God still made us a certain sort of way. And and so we've got this tension that we're fighting with, and I'm, I'm hoping this is what we're exploring as we break into this. But there's this tension between the way God made us and our current rebellion. And pet parenting is one of our ways of trying to cope with those two facts. And that, I mean, like you said, it's it's confusion. And, and this is how we're trying to bring some resolution to it. I mean, it, it just strikes me as you start in the Bible that repeatedly, right, you have Sarai who's barren that's upset about being barren. You have Rebecca who's barren who's upset about being barren. You have Samson's mother who's barren who's upset about being barren. You have Samuel's mother who's barren who's upset about being barren. There's a pattern throughout Scripture of women that are, are very disheartened because they can't have children. And now we've got this generation where where a large percentage of the women, yeah, not over 50%, but a large percentage of women, especially when they're in their 20s, say, I will never have children. And, but we know what the natural desires are. 
And so we know that, like you're saying, that somehow that comes into conflict. And how do you resolve that conflict? And it's kind of a combination of natural desire and the commandments of God, right? I mean, there's a, a principle of in, in rebellion that the commandment defines the rebellion. Right. And, you know, I've, I've made the joke before of, like, you can, have a, you can have a whole bunch of kids sitting on a bed watching a movie and eating a pizza. And you go in and go, hey, you guys stay on the bed and eat your pizza, and I'll be back in 15 minutes. And as soon as you say that, nobody wants to stay on the bed and eat their pizza, even though they've been perfectly happy doing that before. And there's this part where in the Garden of Eden, God says, have dominion over the earth and the animals and be fruitful and multiply. And we go, we're not going to be fruitful and multiply, and we're going to make the animals our children. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, and, and so and God made us to desire the things that he commanded us to do. But at the same time, there's this, there's this desire to pervert. And what sin does is pervert the commands of God. And so you've got you've got the intersection of those things of I have this desire and I also have this desire to rebel against God. And how do I satisfy both of those at the same time? And we know that sin in the end never satisfies both of them, but it becomes this, how do I paper over the desires? How do I paper over this, this desire to be nurturing or whatever at the same time as maintain my rebellion against God? And I think there's another real element to it, too, which is, and maintain my, my honor among men, right? Because, you know, I have a, a niece that went to college, and all her friends go, we would never have children. So obviously she's saying, we, I would never have children. I'm my own person, because they all have to be in a group together. And so you're also rebelling against the society when the society's all saying, oh, you should never have children, it's terrible, it will destroy the environment, it will do this and X, Y, and Z. And so you also have peer pressure that's pushing them towards rebellion against God and rebellion against the way God made them. Right, and if there's a doubt that the whole trend of people calling themselves parents to their pets is, uh, is not related to not wanting children, I mean, probably a lot of people know people who say you know i know person some people who say i'm not gonna have kids i'm just gonna have pets and if you don't if you if you don't know anyone like that they are out there and they are very real and that is you know they, they make that connection it's, this is not something that's that we're imposing on to onto society and that's you know even the term fur babies right or you know my my children have four legs i mean you can see these bumper stickers out there pretty easily so it's not some side thing. It's something that's pretty prevalent out there. Or I'm a dog grandparent. <laughs> right. My grandchildren have fur. <laughs> maybe just really ugly grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's what I was going to say. Maybe you should give them a haircut. But then I almost started to laugh, so I was trying to control myself, I'm Joshua. Not, I'm not sure if the my grandchildren have fur is supposed to be con- you know, advertising their grandchildren <laughs> or complaining about their children. Right. <laughs> Could go either way. I mean, one thing when you go to, to Sarai and, you know, these examples of Rebecca and the example of Hannah, um, I mean, they're all desiring to have a child. And they're all righteous women. I mean, in the end, we know that they're righteous women. And this is a normal desire of a righteous woman. And this is something that God gives. And he even promises blessings that this is, this is what he'll give for obedience. This is what he'll give to Israel if they obeyed. Right, it says in Deuteronomy 7.14, You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And so, again, this is a blessing, and people in the church are supposed to desire this blessing.
we talked about what God did with Adam in the garden. It's be fruitful and multiply. And then when God destroys the world in the flood and Noah steps off the ark, God repeats, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Then when God makes a covenant with Abraham, one of the terms of the covenant, one of the promises, is you're going to have offspring like stars and sand. And then, I mean, you get all of these promises in the middle of the Mosaic Covenant about, hey, here's what's going to happen. If you obey me, you're going to multiply. You're going to prosper. There's not going to be miscarriage. There's not going to be barrenness. If you disobey me, you get all the opposite. Then you get to the covenant with David, and the covenant with David is you're not going to lack a man on the throne. It's about offspring. So every time God wants to communicate really big picture, top-shelf theological things, he's talking about it with children being at least one element of that. Right, and one of the, in uh, Isaiah 56, I think it is, where it's all the sign of the new covenant is that the eunuch will bear children. So, I mean, it's, it's the picture is even in the new covenant. It doesn't stop with the old covenant. Is the, the fruitfulness of the new covenant is it will be much more fruitful than any of the other covenants. I mean, you think about the overriding picture of all of Scripture is it, it's ending with a wedding between Jesus Christ and his bride, and there are the children of God that are brought forth by this by this union. And so, I mean, I mean the Scripture itself and all the things it's pointing towards in some ways, one of the big elements of that is is a picture of offspring. And so, I mean, it's not, it's, 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 it's big. <laughs> the general thrust of scripture is that having children is a blessing. Not having children is a sign of God's curse. And, and you just look at where we are as a culture, the United States, or you can look around the world at, at pretty much any modernized first world society. And the trend of even most third world societies, it's towards hey, it's not good to have children. It's better to have less children or no children. And and the messaging is all across the board, whether you're talking about official messages from governments, or whether you're talking about popular culture or just general peer pressure and interaction. Although the governments are starting to push the other way because I think worldwide now are. the replacement rate has dropped below 2.1 or the, you know, the world, the population of the world is expected to start declining because because we hate children, and we hate children because we hate God as a people. If you look at a, a woman that's considering having children, one of the things has to be that she has to consider is whether she has a husband that's going to help provide for the child or provide for the child. And when you have a 50% divorce rate, as our society does, that gives a lot of instability. And so a woman that even may desire to want to have children in a lot of cases, she's going to back off from that because the current person that's sharing her bed may not be there in six months or a year, whether they're married or not. There's so much instability in relationships that, that women, even if they want to have a child, still are, have real reasons to resist having a child. And, and some of this is just because as a culture, we've refused to, we've refused to strengthen marriage. I mean, we've, we've done nothing to tell a man you promised you would be there, you're going to be there. We've said, oh, I mean, you have to do what's right by you. Yeah, maybe you have to send a check every month, but we're not going to follow up that much. But right. maybe you need to send a check, but in the end, you don't need to be there. Right. And those kind of households that, you know, we just have a cohabiting couple, it's very common that they are dog bomb households. So, because if things break up, then... It's not as hard on the dog. It's harder on the couple figuring out who gets to take the dog. And then we have conversations about doggy visitation. 
that's where we are and i'm not not making this up but it, and it is different i mean it's just fundamentally different with that and a child where you actually kind of have to consider what they're considering at that point is do i get the dog or does he get the dog not you know considering the dog's feelings in it as opposed to if you have a child we still have enough sense of humanity in our culture that the parents still have some sense of well you know I have to consider what's best for my daughter for my son and not just but they don't have the same consideration towards that dog when they're a dog parent because the reality is the dog uh has as very as limited care as the hoots taking care of it as long as it gets <laughs> fed and a place to sleep <laughs> It's and, pretty much good. And this, I mean, there really is a something that, that is underlying this particular fact that, we're, that we should talk about. It's one of the reasons that, that we're here is because, hey, everybody knows that the responsibility of a parent towards a dog is much lower than the responsibility of a parent towards a son or a daughter. Everybody knows that. But, you know, so if you don't want that responsibility, but you want all of the fringe things or the things that you think that you could get from a child, but without the responsibility of a child. If you want an outlet for expressing your emotions, if you want an outlet for expressing your, your God-given need to be nurturing and to, to care for something, to, to provide for something less significant than you, then, hey, you know, golden retriever works great. And, and the consequences of you messing up with a golden retriever are a lot lower than the consequences of messing up with a boy. And I do think that that's very tied to even, you know, we did the podcast on why children should work. If you think of consum- it, children as just consumers and not producers, then a dog's just a consumer too and isn't a producer. If you have this idea of this is how you have an effect on the world around you, this is how you as a household produce, then a child's not at all like a dog. But we've reduced what we the expectations are for a child so that we don't expect much from a child. We don't expect much from an animal. Or if you think about it as, as children being a, a, a mode of self-expression, or if you think of children as just this outlet for self-actualization, hey, children are a lot of work. Maybe I could do that with a dog or a cat. And the other thing, too, is you look how many uh – Parents have a broken relationships with their children versus how many dog owners have a broken relationship with their dog. Uh, basically no one. The dog doesn't turn to a teenager and then decide that he doesn't like you anymore. He eventually dies, but until then, you're not going to have your relationship deteriorate. So another thing you know, that's related to all this, too, is you know, it's a lot more work to raise a child than it is to, to raise a dog or to have a dog. I mean... It's a lot more work. And we've developed a very lazy society. And so if you don't get productivity out of the child, if you get the same emotional release, if you get the same idea of having this possession of this living thing, and you don't actually do a job of training because a lot of the training of children, we think the school system does it, we think these other people do it, but yet you still have to deal with the consequences of it, like you're saying about, you know, your teenage son or teenage daughter, you know, rebels against you at a certain age. Then, you know, as a lazy society, why would we do the work? And I think that's part that fits into it. A lot of the young people that I know that are in that position, they're more in that position because it's a lot of work and they don't want to do it. 
And that's even recognizing that there are people who invest a lot of work in their pets. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, peop- the number of people who, before they go off to work their day job, get up and walk that dog in the morning. I mean... But that's nothing about what you have to do for a child, but yes. <laughs> but but it, it, is, it is nothing, but it's still a lot of something that you don't have to do. And you are, but you are, you are expending a lot of energy. You're expending a lot of resources. You are, you are making work for yourself to care for this pet, to bring this pet into your life, to make it part of your family instead of doing those sorts of things with a child. If they've been told by everyone around them that the only value from a child is something that isn't worth much or is actually a harm, there's a part of it where you're counting the cost. You know what I mean? And I don't mean that that it's okay to do that, but I'm just saying societally there's a real sense of you've done wrong to people. Societally, we've done wrong to individuals by telling them that, by encouraging them to hold that view. And so there is this part of it where I can understand why someone will go, why would I go through all that work for something that everyone says is harm, for something that isn't going to get me anything, might get me a world of trouble, and at best, like you said, can be found elsewhere. And I mean, and it's been pushed for a long time, right? I think it's Paul Ehrlich that wrote The Population Bomb in the 60s, where he said everybody would starve in the world by the 80s. Now there's more food per person than there ever has been before, but that still is the view that's still taught all over the place and is held all over the place is we're destroying the planet by all the children we have, even though the population is starting to decline or that's the the future projections for what they're worth. But there's still this idea that we're just, you know, we're destroying the environment, that everybody's killing everything. So the society's pushing at it from so many different ways to say the cost of raising that child. If you're a good liberal and you bring a child into the world, you're just doing a horrible thing. You're just, right. you just hate the planet. You're just trying to have it heat up faster and cook us all faster. How can you hate people so much? You should hate your own child is basically what the, the argument is out there, is that you shouldn't want your child because it might harm other people. But really, their big sales point is that that way you can spend more on yourself and you can have more things for yourself. So as we examine all of this and, and we look at what's happening in the culture and, and we see it, a selection for barrenness where people are deciding that they're choosing this as a lifestyle, we do have to recognize that that's, that's a sign of God's cursing. Everywhere you look in the Bible, if you see a, a people who's barren, it's because God's cursing them. And, and the particularly sad thing about our, our culture is that we've chosen it. We've chosen not to have children. We've chosen some particularly violent and brutal ways of not having children. You know, eventually we'll talk about abortion, I'm sure. But but the particularly, particularly sad thing is you look inside the church and you don't see anything different just as far as numbers of people having children. And or numbers of people who are deciding that they are not going to have children. Now, Christians are going to come up with different reasons. They may not be thinking about global warming. They might be, depending on the kind of church they go to. But they're going to come up with different reasons, but the the practical results the same is they've decided not to have children and they have these animals instead. And I think one of the things that you see with the um you know, eschatology really matters in this. Because if what you're saying, you know, to J. Vernon McGee used to say, you know, why would you polish the bell on the Titanic if the idea is the whole ship's about to sink? 
why would you be having children? And even if you're looking at it and saying, you know, Christ is about to return, so why would I have a child because he could return in the next five years? Instead, I should evangelize everybody that I can, and that should be my whole focus. And you see churches that are, you know, I think it's less now, but it wasn't that infrequent 20 or 30 years ago where the churches would be encouraging vasectomies, would be encouraging intentionally cutting off the seed because there's so much work to do, because Christ is about to return, we should do that. It's selfish to have children at a time like this. This isn't the time to do it. And, I mean, that was a teaching in the church. I did not go to those churches. <laughs> yes, you were fortunate. You did not go to those churches. But <laughs> I mean, it, it, I mean it, I'm just saying it's an interesting thing because even when you're saying that the view is different in the church, my guess is or the view is not that different in the church. My guess is it's different in the church, but it's just we're just trailing behind the world. We're lagging Fair behind enough. them. You know what I mean? Is the people in the church are probably more interested in having children than if you just took a poll of everyone. But it's been on a decreasing it's been on a on a on a decreasing aspect. And it's been and, and there and the the attitude toward it has been decaying over time. And it all depends on the definition of church, because such a high percentage of America is part of the quote right. unquote church that right. you know, there's a sense that mo- most societal opinions are exactly reflected in the church because those are the people responding to the surveys so 23 years ago we were in a pretty conservative church and yet when we had our third child it was considered radical it was considered wow you have a lot of children i mean that historically is not a lot of children anywhere right but yet this is a expository verse by verse preaching church that went through scripture and yet it was considered wow you've got a lot of children you have three so I think it's really widespread in the church. Right. You went to a fairly unusual church, one that was pushing family. And I just even mean in the sense of it's, it's very common for people to have the attitude of no children. That's, that's less common in the church is what I meant. And, so, and I'm, not, I'm just saying I just didn't want to over-categorize it too much because I'm sure there are people. I mean, oh, the, yeah. the phrase children are a blessing from the Lord being said has an impact. You know what I mean? And so there's just this yes. part of it where, I mean, you know, the Word of God has an impact. So, I mean, if they read those things, there's going to be, even if no matter how much they're soaking in things, there's going to be a part of it where they go, oh, well, yeah, I mean, of course that's true. What I'm going after really is that, hey, there's there's this idea that we've really been trying to define that's this is cultural worldliness out there right. that's got particular color to it, and it's creeping into the church pretty i mean it's spreading and i would agree that the church and is teaching it right i mean the church is the one i mean i'm not even trying to deny that and, if and you, I, I i do think that the church kind of you know maybe 20 years ago that there was a decision made where it started to support homeschooling and it was pretty common among homeschoolers and so i do think that the church has this element or this thread going through it that has become much more be fruitful and multiply than it was you know 25 years ago right i think there has been shifts but we should still recognize that right. it's still widespread out there. And even that, you're talking about a very small, narrow, conservative church. So the question is, how you know, how do you define church? I would say God's command is really clear to Adam. It's really clear to Noah, be fruitful and multiply. And so faithful churches shouldn't be teaching against it. It's not, it's not rocket science. Or even just, I mean, imagine the number of churches that just don't teach on the subject. Imagine thought experiments. You've got a, a relatively large, relatively well-attended church in a college town that's got a lot of young professionals, graduate students, 
and they're not having babies. And if the pastor gets up and says, hey, here's what the Bible has to say about that, they'd run him out on a rail. Right. You know, unless the Holy Spirit decides to work and, and cause a Reformation and revival to happen. I was going to say some of the women in there might be cheering. But <laughs> because there, there's frequently, you know, the, the men are leaders, whether they acknowledge it or not, and a lot of time the women are going along because the men don't want to have children. Yeah. Or vice versa. I'm yeah. Sure. Sure. There's tension. Sure. There's no question. But I think it probably is more predominant that the men are less likely to want to have children than the women are because they're, you know, uh, you know, Hannah was was mourning much more than her husband about her barrenness. Right. I mean, anecdotally, I can at least tell you that in conversations where we run into a lot of people who just, if we're out, if you're out with ten kids, you end up having conversations that that don't happen otherwise, you know what I mean? And so the number of times that we've run into people where the woman says, and you can see her kind of swallow her words, if she's if her husband's with her and then if her husband's not with her, but she'll say something like, I always wanted to have more, you know, and, and sometimes she'll stop or sometimes she'll say, you know, I always dreamed of having a big family. And, you know, I mean, you can see it. As, I mean, so it's I've, it's it's much more rare to hear that be said from a man's side, but it, you can hear it from the woman's side. And I mean, like, one reason why the society can say that your animals could be the same as your children is for a reason that, again, if you're reading the Bible, you completely reject, which is the idea that under our modern, uh, you know, society's views of science and lack of spirituality, um, there's no difference between men and animals. There's no difference between your dog and your child. You know, scientifically, they, they cannot show why there's a difference. Um, strange as that might be, but but, but the, when they say that people are just the most advanced animals, well, then there's not really a fundamental difference between your dog being your child versus your child being your child. Right. If you're going to say, well, should you have a dog or a fish, then what's the difference if you're taking that worldview between saying, should I have a dog or a man? Obviously, a dog's more complicated than a fish in a lot of ways. And so it becomes this gradient as opposed to saying that they're fundamentally different. I don't, all the fish parents might be angry now <laughs> well. saying, saying fish are not as good as dogs or well, not, not as, as complicated. As dogs. Okay. Yeah, well, we'll yeah, we might as well offend people good. on this podcast. <laughs> they lack natural animal empathy. <laughs> I mean, and, and then at the same time, because I, I agree with that, and then at the same time you can go back. It doesn't take that long, far to go back. And if someone told people, I'm a pet parent, they would look at them like they were absolutely insane. It wouldn't be that long ago where it was on the same level as like the emperor's new clothes. We've moved really far and really fast to the point where if I somebody said they were a, a pet parent, I wouldn't, I would. I don't think they're, there's no reason to think they're joking. There is right. no reason to believe they're joking. That's how far we've moved. And it's almost, it's kind of surprising that it's acceptable just in the sense, I mean, people get offended at so many things. Right. And having a pet is so different from having a child. And so many people do have children. I'm surprised it's not like that quite very, uh, that's, that's a big microaggression there to say that you're having your cat, that if you want to give it away to your friend, no shame in that versus your child, you know, you can't do that. Or if you do, it's. You know, you're messing up your child's life. Right. And to say that those things are equivalent seems like that would be rather insulting to a lot of Americans. But I suppose not. And I guess once you've already said that a man and a woman are exactly the same and can be interchanged freely in relationships, once you've, you know, I mean, and these things that point to and are a picture of God and Christ and the church, 
that are incredibly offensive to God to move these things. And the thing is, too, that God did create animals, particular animals, to be able to be domesticated, to be companions to people. Like, you can't just grab a, you know, a lion and treat it like a dog. It doesn't work that Tell way. Tell that to Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> well... <laughs> One well, of them, did, one of them got killed yeah. by a lion, so, I mean. <laughs> so maybe they should they wouldn't listen to you, but it, you should tell it to Siegfried and Roy. But God made dogs so they could be man's best friend, as people like to call them. And I mean, like I go to Nigeria and going to Nigeria, a lot of people have dogs, but they don't have any aspect like we have of dogs, right? Because they would have the dog because it's dangerous. It's useful to have them to bark. They have the dog because in the end they'll eat the dog. But they're not looking at them and saying this is a person. They're looking at them and saying that they have a role in society. And part of that is companionship. But they have real work that's their responsibility. And they would look at that for children too, right? Because it would be across the board that they would look at that. And so we've gotten so, you know, an abundance of idleness. We've got an abundance of bread. We're in this situation where we're so wealthy that, that we don't think anything should be useful, which is the best way to make everything useless. You dropped in that they'll eat the animal kind of casually. They'll eat the dog. <laughs> Let's not just say the animal. They'll eat the dog kind of casually. But that's they don't probably, eat cats, though. <laughs> that's probably a pretty sh- – I mean, if you're just – I mean, <laughs> my eyes got big when you said it. I mean, because I knew that about Nigeria. But at the same time, it's so antithetical to American culture, the idea of eating a dog. And I mean, one of the things that's, that's shifted, I mean, is, is animals, even in law, have been considered to be property. They've considered to be something that had utility. And, and I don't mean devoid of, devoid of sentiment, but I mean by law and by, by statute and by scriptural principle, they were considered to fundamentally be property. They did not have rights independent of that. And that's changed. And with and and that's it's gone with the views of people, but it's it's also pushed on it. And so I mean, I think that's one of the things that's going on here. Even though, like I said, I think there's different elements involved with what we're talking about. That shift has affected has affected the way we view things pretty dramatically. And at least one of the things I think that's, that's pushed that is the rise of kind of our emotion is emotionalism. I mean, because there's a part. I mean, I, I've I've had pets. I grew up with I grew up with cats. I've I've cried over the death of an animal. I've cried multiple times over the death of an animal. But there's this part of it where whenever you feel great sadness or great, you feel this sense of something, a desire to turn it into more than what it is. And because, yeah, and there was part of it where I was saying that people wouldn't say they were pets. People have jo- have kind of made jokes about comparisons to being pets of a- parents of animals for a long time. Mm-hmm. They, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, this, is, this is my little baby. You know what I mean? They'll say stuff like that. And there's this part of it where, though, when they have that moment of great emotionalism, maybe the pet's getting old or maybe there's just some moment where they feel it, and then they look at other people and they want to go, sometimes I do feel like their parent. And then they want that feeling to be validated. You know what I mean? Is I have this great strong feeling, and, I, and, and it feels like other feelings I have, and therefore we must say that the relationship and everything that entails with it is the same. And there's this part of it where that's where it ha- that's where things actually have to be stopped because if you do that, that has no end because what we do is we consecrate things. And there is this part of it where God says man is made in the image of God. And God has said you should have children and be fruitful and multiply. 
And what we've said is, I am going to take this other thing that you have put in a different place, and I am going, I am going to make it as important. And other people have to acknowledge that importance. And this ties into gender things. This, I mean, when someone looks at you and say, you, you have to recognize my pronouns, it is the exact same fundamental thing. It is, I care about this, and you must validate what I care about. And I'm going to fight for the right to that, for that to be validated. There's kind of superficial similarities, right, between, you know, your, your child giving you a hug and a dog coming up and licking your face or whatever, right, the, the signs of affection that you get. But the reality is the signs of affection that you get from your child are unique for each child. But the reality is if somebody, their dog dies, they usually just go get another dog, and they get the same reward out of that dog as they did the previous dog. Right. which is very different than children because children are made in the image of God. They're far more complex. They're far more, each one's different. And so it can't just be like this generic substitution that you can almost get with dogs. But but not all dogs are the same. Uh, not all dogs are the same. Sure. <laughs> I, I, you, I completely agree but, with and People that. would definitely say that they don't get the same reward out of all dogs. Right, but it's it's the, the variation but in not the all level of... The same. Right, the variation of the level of the reward is what I'm saying. You look at Barbara Streisand, who had her favorite dog, and she cloned it. Well, each one of those dogs is different, not that much less different than adopting a dog, but yet she's still, oh, this is this is that dog. No, it's not, but you know what I mean? But she can still get the same satisfaction out of that, that clone as she did out of the original dog. People have a much greater variation. There's even a part of it where when you go back to Scripture where it says that man's made in the image of God, one of the verses that doesn't get a lot of traction is when Adam gives birth to Seth. It says in his image, in Adam's image, he had a son. And there's this part of it. And so Adam's made in the image of God, and Seth gets that. But, but Seth is also made in Adam's image. And there is this part of it where you're going to have a different— there is a different capacity for connection to someone who bears your image than there is— to an animal and there is a and you have to start looking at yourself as you have to work to look at an animal as the same as you you have to put more right. effort in you have you know what i mean you have to look at humans differently and i that. and i was going to say even like adoption where it's not a genetic continuity right. still after you raise that child they're still in your image right because they're still they become a Churchill. They become a Horn. They become a side. Adopted kids say, "I get this from my parents all the time." They'll go, "They'll go. Who do you get that from? Your mom or your dad?" And they mean their adopted parents, right? Because there still ends up that the training makes them in the image of their parents. If their parent, whoever raised right. them, they become in that image, which is very different. It doesn't matter how long you have a dog; they don't take your characteristics. So one thing that we've been saying is that that the church is not that distinctly different. We're trailing behind, but I don't think the church is leading in this. Right. So, you know, the church is supposed to be leading. And so how, how do we get it so that the church leads in this again? How do we get it so that the church embraces children since it is such clear scriptural commands? I mean, one of the things you start with is there needs to be proper preaching on it from the pulpit. I mean, there's, there's an aspect of doctrine. I mean, it needs to be said from the pulpit that children are a blessing from the Lord, that you have still have an obligation to be fruitful and multiply, that, you know, that, that children— the earth is not filled. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and so, I mean, there are things—and that animals and humans are not equal. 
and that you know that an, that man was created to have dominion over the animals. And I think there is this part of so I mean when I think you know I mean within churches it needs to be said don't seriously say you're your pet's parent. Don't use don't give don't try to attribute this to animals. That should not be the language that you use because language shapes thoughts and it comes it comes from ideas and this is not a biblical idea. Animals have value. Animals are good. People who are righteous treat their animals well, but animals are not children, and children are a different category of thing than animals. I mean, I think that brings up a good point: is if people are calling your your friends at church are calling themselves pet parents, it sounds like that could be a great opportunity for a good discussion about what the Bible says about about animals and people and right. the image of God and and parenting and yeah, that the, the language we we shouldn't adopt the world's language. When it's when it's antithetical to the scripture, right? And I think related to that is that the church also needs to talk about that we're not here to fulfill our own lust of the flesh, our own desires, and our own. We're not here to be fulfilled. We're here to serve God, and God has given us commands about how to serve Him. And one of the ways is that you, yeah, He says in in Malachi that He desires godly seed. I mean, it's a clear scriptural thing, and to have godly seed means that you have to do the work to raise them. You can't just let them have dominion over you and control your household. You actually have to drive the foolishness out of their heart. You actually have to do the work to raise your children. But I do think the church needs to be talking more about the blessings of children and how God's what God says is true. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Yeah, I, I, another way of saying that is just that the reasons that we give for not having children and yet having all of these pets around, really, I mean, we try and come up with pretty noble reasons for it. Even within the church, we come up with, with oh, Paul said, remain as I am, or we want to do, we want to really serve the church, and so we're not going to have children so we can devote. But at the end, they're all relatively selfish reasons for doing it and the church needs to be willing to call them selfish and, and needs to be able to point those things out and say because really raising children is hard work none of us are up here saying anything different than that none of us are up here saying oh you know it, they're just great and they're so productive i mean no it's hard work um, we acknowledge that we recognize that we recognize that's why some people might not want to have children because it is hard work but th- if that's what we're called to do, then we need to obey God and do it. And we need more preachers who are willing to say that and who are willing to call out the particular sins of the age. Right. And there's a part of it where even those accepting that there may be some people who are called to singleness and those things, they're not called to be pet parents. So, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, if you are called to serve the church and that is what you're doing and God has called you to singleness or, there's, you know, he hasn't provided someone for you to marry, pet parent isn't doesn't fit into that scenario. And so there is a biblical way to do that, and this isn't it. And and you're not saying don't get a pet. Right. By any means. I mean, look, if we want to go back to the creation story, you can go back just a little farther than we've gone. And God made the animals, and he looked and he said, they're good. So when you look at a dog, that dog is a creature that God created because it pleased him to create it. And it was very good that God did these kinds of things. And, and that, I mean, our God's got a sense of humor. You look at the sorts of animals you 
that he made, and you can't think otherwise. You can't think that his character is is pinched and dour and right. I mean, there's some funny creatures out there that God said, "I like that. I'm going to make one of those. Right. I'm going to make a bunch of those," and and for us to like them too. That's just fine. I mean, and there's a way that you can like animals and actually be imitating God. And there's a way that you can use animals to replace your responsibilities and you can be in high rebellion to God. Right. There is something that God does that is kind of similar to a pet parent. God takes man and makes him a fit bride for God. And some of this is people think that they can play God. Not to like animals like God likes animals, but actually think that they can play God and make something into something that it's not. God does that by giving us... Well, God does that by giving us his spirit. And with his spirit, we can be a fit bride for God because God can give his spirit to us. We can't do that to our dog. And so there is an aspect that we're imitating what God did, but it's in recreation, which we can't do. Only God can do that. And so we're kind of like stealing God's glory because we're pretending to do, only it obviously doesn't work. No, no pet parent has a dog that can talk and go get a job and provide for them in their old age. I mean, it just it doesn't work, but we want to pretend like we can do it. Which is what Romans 1 says. I mean, we've traded the glory of God for creatures, for four-footed animals. I mean, if Romans 1 is— But if it's not talking about us, what is that talking about? Just people who bow down to a golden calf idol? I mean, it could be us, and we just need to be willing to say— since hey, it's us and so much hey, of the rest of that exactly. chapter, it would be really wrong to say it's not us in that Right. Part. If the rest of Romans 1 describes the culture that we're living in, maybe that part does too. I mean, one thing that we didn't talk about that I think is probably worth talking about some is one of the reasons that it's hard to raise children is because they're sinners like us. And one of the reasons that I think people don't want to have children is they sin when they have children because not because having children is sin, but it's a lot easier to get angry when this little person that's so much like you does what annoys you about yourself and and it confronts sin. And we're a people who don't want our sin confronted inside the church and outside the church. And the dog doesn't sin in the way that you sin. So he doesn't remind you of what you're like. He doesn't, you know, so much of child raising is recognizing what you're like in the eyes of God. Because so many of the things your child does to you are what you've done to God a thousand times before. And because of that, when you have that child, he points out your own failings. And people don't want to hear about their failings. They want to hear how great they are. They've been taught self-esteem throughout their, you know, their education, just how, how wonderful they are. Instead of actually going, you know what, I'm a sinner and I have that little sinner here and he's really annoying me. And, you know, and so they, they want to back off from that because the church doesn't want to talk about sin and doesn't want to deal with sin. They just want to say, hey, you've, you prayed a prayer, you made a profession of faith, you walked the aisle, you got baptized, you're good to go and not actually deal with sin. And the reality is raising children has a lot to do with just dealing with sin. We've talked about this in other podcasts, the prison episode and different things about how that 
one of the reasons why we have prisons is because we don't want to deal with the messiness of people's sins. I mean, there's this saying that when two people get married, you're trying to find someone whose demons play nicely with yours. And the issue is, is a child's demons don't play nicely with yours. You have to do a lot of work to get that child to the point where you can, where you can get along with each other. And so, that, I mean, and that's, I mean, I think that's a part of what you're saying is, is, you know, there was the balance of sending them off to school. But even the hours that they're at home, if you don't train them, if you don't spank them, if you don't discipline them, those can be miserable hours. And so, and like and you're when saying, you, don't you have do that, to deal with that. It feeds your own sin and your sin gets worse. And you go, man, I am an angry person. Right. Right? Yes. Because, and so you either have to deal with their sin so that you don't have to deal with your sin or you have to, de- and all of a sudden sin gets much bigger in the picture than it does with an animal. And people don't want to see their sin. Right. And so, I mean, yeah, it is, it really does come back to the church in a lot of ways is because we, one of the principles that I think throughout scripture is, is God made the world so the unsaved could live in it. And the church has not described that world in a way because we've described it so poorly, because we've described the law that God has made so poorly. We've made the law as we've made the world that God intended a misery. We've turned those things that were supposed to be blessings, even for the unsaved, into pure miseries for them, where they can't even see the subdued reflection of his glory. And so, I mean, there, you know what I mean? And there, there's just this, there's just this real problem is, I mean, that this is, this is the church's fault. And I, th- I think it's important to say there, and we shouldn't be hopeless about this. This is something that's relatively new, right? I mean, the, the low childbirth rate is relatively new. There have been times in history past that it's been like that, but it's relatively new, especially to be worldwide like it is right now as a phenomenon. So it's not like it can't can't fairly easily be changed. But the church has to go back to basic principles. When you think that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, when you think that we become adopted into Christ's family, that we talk about the church as being made up of brothers and sisters, this is all about the children. This is all the no pictures one is barking. that has got. Yeah, no one's barking. Well, another story about some of the charismatic churches. I've heard there's barking, but there shouldn't be barking in the right. church service. Instead, it should be brothers and sisters gathered together. But we're eliminating brothers and sisters in our culture. And it's because the church isn't talking about the importance of these pictures and how these are good things and how they're blessings. And we shouldn't think that it's that hard to change. The church just needs to change its mind and the world will follow. So we've already done a, a podcast on confusion and how it's so obvious in our culture and, and that when you see confusion as widespread like this, you have to say this is the judgment of God. And our podcast tonight has basically been just one instance of that. It's been one case study of, hey, look at how confused we are that we can even talk about things like interspecies families with a straight face and not say emperor's new clothes. But but that's where we are. We're, we're very confused and we're, we don't know what a child is anymore. And, and without children, the next generation, there is not one, right? I mean, and these are really fundamental things that, that God is really judging us as a nation 
And I do think that it, we haven't mentioned abortion tonight hardly at all. And the reality is is that that for promiscuity to be acceptable in our society, we had to say abortion was okay. And now, because we've said promiscuity is okay, so therefore abortion has to be okay, God's judgment on our society is basically say, you want to hate your children? I'll let you hate your children. You can have dogs instead. And the church needs to start saying, this is the judgment of God. When God says, children are a blessing, and I'm taking away the blessing, and I'll give you a puppy instead, we go, oh, thanks, a puppy, instead of going, this is the judgment of God. And the church has a duty to speak of these things and declare these things and to talk about it in the public sphere because that is how the things change. I mean, when you talk about it, it takes just one generation to not have children. I mean, I mean that's it's kind of like the so – I remember someone – I remember it, someone made the statement about how that, you know, every breath you take, you're like resetting the timer. You know, in a sense of you're 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 moving towards death because you your body has to have oxygen, and so you're 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 this many minutes away from death, and then every time you take a breath, you reset it. And children are kind of like that culturally. You know, I mean, there's this aspect of it where generationally, yeah, culturally, you're you're moving towards death, and you don't hold your breath. You know what I mean? I mean, you you don't. That's not a game you play to see how close you can get to dying. I'm gonna see. You know what I mean? And and there is just this part of it, like you're saying. That's confusion. Somebody who was doing that, you would say, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Do you, do you hate yourself? And the answer is yes. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's, I know exactly what you mean. To. I was going to talk about, you know, John three sixteen, right? I mean, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. That's the picture there is that he cared about the world, not some dead ball just floating around. He right. cared about the life that's here. You know, he talks about at the end of, of Jonah that, that, you know, he's complaining to Jonah, why did you not, why do you care about this vine instead of Nineveh that has millions of people and millions of animals and all you cared about was a vine? Well, we're to the point where we just care about the animals instead of the people. Right. But loving the world like God loves the world, you have to care about the people too and not just go, well, dog, ant, person, same thing. No, people are very different. And we need to, we can't walk around saying that we love the world the way we're supposed to, right? We're not supposed to love the things of the world, less the eyes, less of, or the, uh, less of the flesh and the pride of life. But we, there is a love that we're supposed to have for our enemies, for our friends, for our neighbors, for, for creation. For creation. And part of that is it will only be sustained and controlled when there's men here. Right. And mankind has to continue. And so if we if we love God's creation, you know, we have children. Right. So as we think of uh, living in a nation where we have trouble telling the difference between a dog and a baby, we should see what a serious judgment that is on the church, where God has given us that much confusion. But we do have the light of his word. If we just shine it forth the way we should, may we be more faithful. Thank you for listening. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.